passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 296 review, our final UFC review of 2023. I am John Pollock, joined by Eric Marcotte, who I think is going to have way more output than when Colby Covington did on Saturday night. How are you today, Eric? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm definitely uh, a a bit tired here. This is uh, a strange time for me as a man who works nights, but... um... Uh, it, it was a good enough card that it kept my energy up a bit to to make it here. What what is your new schedule looking like? Are you are you have you been going straight since last night? What, where are we catching Eric Marcotte at eleven a.m. on a Sunday morning? Uh, usually, I do just go straight into the show. Today, I got some sleep, and I think I just I crashed around two, and I woke up at like six, which is a good thing because I had completely forgotten almost everything that happened. So I, I had to rewatch most of the, the fights, just oh, uh, well, that's... Uh, re- recapture everything, so I could actually talk about them. Well, we are going to be diving into UFC 296. We'll also go over some of the news that came out of the press conference. Dana White was in a very uh very festive mood afterwards. He was in a uh, good spirits and. Dropped a lot of news in this uh, press conference afterward. But first of all, how much of the press conferences did you catch this week? And what was some of your takeaways? Because it was even Dana White went so far as to state at the press conference that he was uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff that, that was brought up this week, which between Sean Strickland and Colby Covington, just two of them. Like I, th- I just thought it was a really ugly look between them. And we'll have lots to talk about with Sean Strickland as well, who got to be on the... um. I guess the uh the lot the the dark match of of the night inside of uh inside of the arena. Yes, uh, honestly, I stopped watching the press conferences years and years ago now, like maybe 2017, 2018. There just came a point where I was like, uh, it's kind of what you said on uh, Rewind to Smackdown, I believe, the other day, where I was starting to get embarrassed to be an MMA fan watching these. Like, I've never felt bad about being an MMA fan. Yes, there are some uncomfortable aspects to the violence of the sport. But uh, aside from that, it was always something I've been very open about. And it, it got to a point where I was like, wow, this is kind of embarrassing to be associated with this. And I, I don't really like any of these people as human beings. So it just, there came a point where I stopped watching them. And yes, I did read the comments. I, I saw what happened. I, I th- honestly think this is what a lot of the current UFC fan base wants. They they want people saying these type of things. They want the the uh, bottom of the barrel edgelord dialogue from your Covingtons or, or your Sean Strickland's. I think that's what works with a large percentage of this audience. Listen, we we can lament and and look at all of the, these comments and in what poor taste it was that Colby Covington is bringing up Leon Edwards' father. He came out on Saturday night and this arena erupted for Colby Covington. And I mean, it, it was so indicative of this this fan base that, I mean, they were so behind Colby until they realized, I would say maybe early in the second round, that this guy is uh, not looking great. And boom, the day like just we're done with Colby Covington. I mean, it was the most fickle crowd in terms of they they love this guy. But he came out. If you think he was wearing any kind of discipline from an audience perspective, there was none. This endeared him to this this audience. And you can make of that of what you will. And I'm sure it was not the entirety of the audience, but he was absolutely the favorite coming out uh, with the two respective entrances. Uh, yeah, and, and he uh, has been a favorite for a very long time, honestly, at this point. I can't remember the last time Colby Covington was booed. That's sort of like an old 2017 uh, heel mentality that's kind of gone. He, he gets cheered by these crowds. They, they love him. Do you think it would have painted it differently for an audience if Leon Edwards had come out and he had been so rattled that he abandoned his game plan and Colby was able to exploit that over five rounds. Would that be like, I, I do not believe that the end justifies the means. And this was not that case. Um, but does that paint it differently for you? If, the, if this had been successful in throwing Leon off, which I mean, he fully admitted that line 
absolutely cut through to him and he had to just divorce himself from that uh those emotions for 25 minutes uh for me no it, it wouldn't change anything but i think that would become the narrative like uh i think back to conor mcgregor versus jose aldo conor mcgregor said some pretty horrible stuff ahead of that and it gets praised because the uh, mentality Khabib, coming out of that like, fight was maybe the ugliest in jose yeah. aldo's head he started he fought wildly uh same with habib yeah so it, the outcome of these fights very much will change depending on people's perception of how these words affected the fighters. In this case, obviously, obviously uh, it didn't affect Leon Edwards' game plan at all. Well, they were at the, the T-Mobile Arena on Saturday night. They announced uh, 19039 and a gate of $9.3 million that Dana stated was the, the 15th largest of all time. This will most likely be the location of UFC 300. They have not announced the location, but it is set for Vegas on April the 13th and as I've asked Way, is the yellow mat going to be returning for one night only in April? I want to see a different color. I think they need to do every hundred shows. You come out with a new colored mat. Maybe it could be like blood red this time. Doesn't that sound great? I love it. Maybe um, maybe a giant, uh, that image of uh, Colby had on his jacket this week, the uh, image of Donald Trump. Maybe that will be right there next to the howler head. And that just, uh, might, that just might be a mainstay regardless of pay-per-view number. It could be. Red might be their their color in 2024. Uh, but we have got Leon Edwards against Colby Covington. As we mentioned, uh, Covington came out, was uh, was roundly cheered by this audience. And, I mean, this was a very interesting fight to watch because you're seeing in the early going a very, very cautious Colby Covington. And Edwards is totally dialed in. And he's being selective with his left hands. But this guy is controlling the octagon, utilizing his leg kicks, and controlled all the distance. It was a pretty easy round for Edwards. And you're thinking, okay, is, is Covington just getting his bearings? And are we going to see an adjustment in round two? Nope. Colby enters and he tries to like step in and is met with a right hook. And we just see Edwards piling up leg kicks on, on Covington's lead leg. And again, Edwards is just picking him, selective with his shots. It's not like we're getting some giant barrage from Leon Edwards, but he is under no threat by Colby Covington. And I would say after 10 minutes, Eric, we're watching a very different Colby Covington. And that was, uh, yeah, that this was... wasn't a Colby Covington who was applying forward. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize I was on such a delay, but uh, Colby Covington's forward pressure was clearly not there. He wasn't uh, initiating many exchanges at all. Instead, it was Leon Edwards who was walking Covington down for the majority of these rounds. And to be honest, it, it was rather dull. It wasn't a fun fight to watch, but uh, the first 10 minutes, all Leon Edwards. Into the third. This is the first time that Covington shoots for a takedown. And he um, ends up finishing the takedown, but to no avail because Leon Edwards was able to get right back up. And then it's Edwards shooting on Covington. And Edwards completes the takedown on Colby and then lets him up. Almost like a, a statement here that he is able to take down Colby Covington. And then Edwards just continues with the leg kicks. We go into the fourth. Covington shoots and Edwards attempts a choke and puts his back against the fence. Covington gets out of trouble. There's a beautiful left counter by uh, Leon Edwards, one of his best shots of the fight. And then Edwards is opting to grapple and Covington does get onto his back. But again, Edwards right back up to his feet. So I would say it is pretty much for, for, zilch, for zilch for Edwards going into the fifth round. And the fifth round, when you look at these stats, I mean, the output of these two in round number five i think it was uh three strikes landed by one uh colby covington compared to one for leon edwards this was not the most active round this was all on the on the ground essentially where edwards grapples takes his back and tries for an arm bar loses it and then covington gets on top in the open guard but pretty much does very little with it i would say this would be if you're going to give one round to covington it's the fifth but this was a very uninspired performance from Colby Covington. All three judges scored at 49-46 for Leon Edwards. And the output just wasn't there. This was such a different Colby Covington than you saw. Uh, forget against Robbie Lawler, but the two Usman fights against Tyron Woodley, against Jorge Masvidal. And it was brought up the fact that this has almost been two years since that March 22 fight with uh, Jorge Masvidal and this was a guy that just didn't declare like he had any kind of injury coming into this fight. But yeah, this was just not the performance you would have expected out of Colby Covington. 
No, I had it scored the uh, same way as the judges. Perhaps you like Covington's best round was the fifth, just as a lot of it was spent on the ground. Uh, uninspired performance. He didn't look good. He looked very slow. Um, keep in mind, this is the first fighter who isn't steadily on de- the decline. He's fought aside from Kamaru Usman in a very long time. So uh, couple that with the ring rust, that's uh, a much higher level opponent. Uh, Great fight from Edwards. It was a bit dull at times. There wasn't a lot of... Uh, they, they were talking about it on commentary. He clearly wasn't chasing after the finish, which I could see that hurting in some fans' eyes. But his grappling continues to impress. Uh, he was clearly the better striker. And, and where Colby Covington found success on the feet against Kamaru Usman, for example, is he kind of loads up on his shots. And while he doesn't strike with a ton of power, it, it allows him to initiate these exchanges and land his blows before going in for his takedowns. Against Kamaru Usman, that worked. Because Usman tried to match him. He, he always tried to respond with a jab or a straight, a straight punch. And because he hits harder than Covington, that worked out for Usman. In this case with Edwards, what did he do? He just took a step back because Covington was too slow. Every single time that Colby winds up for a big shot, all Leon Edwards did throughout the fight was take a single step back. And he missed almost every single time. So uh, it wasn't a competitive fight. It wasn't an entertaining fight. But it was a decisive one and a decisive win for Leon Edwards. Just to put into perspective, the output from Colby Covington... Uh, compared to tonight. So if we go backwards, his last performance against Jorge Masvidal, he threw 338 strikes over five rounds. In the first Usman fight, 395. And against Robbie Lawler in uh, 2021, he threw 541 strikes. Tonight, he threw 194. So it was a marked difference for Colby Covington. This guy Typically, you're getting 300 strikes out of him over the course of five rounds. Tonight, it was 194. He only secured two takedowns in the fight. But uh, to your point, Eric, this was a Leon Edwards that was so dialed in. And afterward, he was interviewed by Joe Rogan. And, you know, this guy was clearly, um, totally and justifiably uh, shook from this line on Thursday. And you can look into the warfare of things, of what is fair game and, and fight fight play but this guy turned all of that off for five rounds and he dominated Colby Covington and yeah Covington I just I think he deserves criticism for this performance I this is his third title fight you have to wonder if there will be another one in his career I don't think you can throw that out as an impossibility um but this was definitely I think bad for Colby Covington's uh future when you're 35 years old and now you have three title losses and to jump into it, who does he call out after the fight? He calls out Stephen Thompson, right? Another fighter who's 40 years old, steadily on the decline. No matter how that fight goes, it's not going to really indicate how Colby Covington matches up against the current batch of welterweight contenders. So in terms of getting back to another title shot, of course it's possible. Um, anything could happen in, in MMA. But it's... it's uh, I'd like to see him test himself against some more of the current top guys at welterweight, or else we just don't know where he's at. He, yeah, he lost the Leon Edwards pretty easily here. Well, Leon Edwards is the best welterweight in the world. Uh, let's see him against Shavkat Rachmanov. Let's see him against Bilal Muhammad. It, where, where does Bilal Muhammad uh, stand after uh, after tonight? Does he? I mean, I feel he's in the role Leon Edwards was for quite a while, where we were all looking at this guy like, what does he have to do to get the title fight? Does this? And we'll probably get into this more with the Shavkat Rachmanov um, outcome as well. Are those sort of your your leading contenders as to who will get this next title fight? I mean, I think Shavkat Rachmanov has probably already surpassed Bilal Muhammad, if we're being honest. Uh, Bilal Muhammad and Leon Edwards, of course, have fought previously. Uh, It it was a short fight before someone controversial stoppage but uh it wasn't really one that left you excited about seeing a rematch and i can totally see the ufc just looking at like uh muhammad versus edwards too i don't quite see the money in that one well you have shavkat rakamanov who's 18 and now with 18 finishes it's just an easier sell i, I could totally see Bilal muhammad getting passed up again forget the name Bilal muhammad is what you're saying it's been forgotten oh boy Let's move on over to the other championship fight on the card. Alexandra Pantoja defending the title for the first time against Brandon Royval in a a rematch from 2021 where, dude, Pantoja ragdolled Royval in that fight. And I I, I didn't care what Royval has done uh, since then with, with due respect to Rogerio Bontarin, Matt Schnell, and Matthias Nikolaou. Um, it, listen, Royville certainly uh, leveled up from that last performance uh, in, in this one over over five rounds. But I just watched that fight this week. I was like, 
I, I'd be stunned if Pantoja is going to get any surprises in, in this rematch. He looked so dominant, and he has continued to, to look as such. I remember that first fight quite well, and it, it's like you said, it was a very one-sided fight for Pantoja, complete with the second-round finish, I believe. I, I kind of expected the same thing here. I mean, Rival's a good fighter, but Pantoja is uh, he's just a step above him, and I feel as though that kind of played itself out. So the fight begins, and dude, Pantoja is just coming out super aggressive. He is landing kicks to the body, gets a takedown off the fence, uh, did eat some up kicks here while he was working in half guard, uh, but it was just a big pace uh, set out from Pantoja from the get-go. We continue into the second, and Pantoja's landing with his right hand. Royville is defending uh, the takedowns, but Pantoja gets a trip into half guard, and half guard seemed to be where Pantoja was most comfortable. He would like actively move to half guard at certain points, tries for the mount, gets but it, it was this beautiful fake to mount when he moved to side control and Royville did recover half guard they stand for the final minute and Pintoja stuns him with a shot and uh Royville does get a a takedown late in the fight third round um this was probably the closest of the first three rounds Pantoja gets a takedown again he's threatening with the choke but gets reversed and they're back to their feet and this is where kind of the the energy meter goes down slightly for Pantoja and Royville is the one hitting with a body kick uh, the double jab connects and then a knee right up the middle and Pantoja gets a takedown late at the end of the round. How did you score round three? I thought this was a, a very close round. I agree with you. Super close round. I gave it to Pantoja, but this was certainly Roy Val's best moments to date. He had a lot more success on the feet where uh, it's funny that you mentioned Pantoja slowing down because this is something the yeah. commentary team talked about as well. He always looks like he is like around into the fight. He looks done. He looks like he gets up off his stool and he looks exhausted, but he kind of keeps fighting the same way. It's There isn't a huge decline in terms of his output, but his body language is just atrocious. Well, <laughs> It, it was a very close round. I gave it to Pantoja. Eric gave it to Pantoja. Pantoja's corner? No. They tell him, you lost that round. I mean, it, you, you rarely get the definitive, you lost this round on what I was like. Yeah, he I probably don't won. <laughs> so, I mean, conventional wisdom was he was up 3 nothing here. But in Pantoja's mind, I mean, he's... uh. He, he lost that one. So the fourth, I mean, he comes out really strong here in the fourth, gets mount, and then spins to the back and applies his body triangle. And man, this was the bane of Royville's existence in this fourth round, trying to get out of the body triangle. Uh, Pantoja is going for the neck crank, tightens on the choke, but Royville is defending and escapes in the last 30 minutes, gets on top, lands a few uh, hammer fists, but not enough to, uh, to take this round. This was a, a clear Pantoja round. And then in the fifth, um, there's quite the speech here from Mark Montoya to Royville to, to pretty much like this is your opportunity. You have five minutes and Royville, dude, I wonder if this was like twin magic and another fighter came in and took over this guy because this was a totally different Brandon Royville for the first half of this round where he is just tagging him with jabs, uppercuts. He's so busy with his volume and then Pantoja shoots for the takedown. He just wants to uh, stop the momentum and Royville tries to change the angle defending and he gets taken down and he's in the dreaded half guard. This is Pantoja's eighth takedown of the fight. And Pantoja does a great job with the grappling for the remainder does mount him briefly. And there's some hammer fist by Pantoja at the end might've been enough to um, make it a clean sweep for Pantoja. I did give this fifth round to Royville, but um, it, it, it was, a, it was certainly close when you had Pantoja pretty much taking over for the second half of the round but uh, I had it 49-46 for Pantoja what did your scorecard look like Eric I had it 50-45 for Pantoja uh, I thought the fifth round was even closer than the third round I almost did give it to Roy yeah. Val but uh, I, I lent towards Pantoja as well um, a, a strong performance Roy, 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 Roy Val had his moments on the feet but he just had no answer for the takedowns of Pantoja like I, I don't know what his takedown defense percentage was throughout this fight it it felt like Carlos Condit levels. It, it was uh, rough. He was taken down over and over and over again, uh, right when he was starting to build himself some momentum too. And I'd even say until he started to get tired, Pantoja was probably doing the better work on the feet. He was certainly landing the harder punches at the very least. So uh, a good first title defense for Pantoja. And uh, it was a fun fight. I, I thought this was one of the better fights on the main card. I, I, I thought this was... Um very needed on the like in terms of the these two title fights on the card i think if you had not had this championship fight preceding the the main event i think you would have had even a more kind of a disappointing end to to what was a largely pretty 
entertaining show, but Pantoja, uh, a clear victory here. And, you know, the, the flyweight division, I think it is always going to be in a state of producing super entertaining fights. And it's more a case of just getting a, a spotlight on some of these contenders that they mentioned, uh, Amir Albazi, Kaikara France, um, th- those being your contenders. And of course, uh, Brandon Moreno, who I think will charitably fight for this title, maybe eight more times in his career. Uh, I'm sure he will be moving up to Bantamweight in his next fight to go fight Davis and Figueredo again. I feel like that's the most likely outcome here. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, let's move on over to the man of the night, potentially. It was Shavkat Rachmanov, and uh, you know he's coming into this fight 17-0 and uh, with 17 stoppages in his career against Steven Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, Rachmanov was the biggest favorite on this card at minus 650. And the fight begins, and it's Rachmanov clinching with Thompson and starts throwing some uppercuts in the clinch, catches the leg, and Rachmanov is throwing right hands. They separate, and a pretty pedestrian first round. Rachmanov, you know, gets the gets the 10-9. But then in the second round, uh, Rachmanov is fighting for the leg, cannot take Thompson down. So he goes back to the clinch, and this crowd has no time for this. They are booing him. So we get a trip takedown by Rachmanov, who threatens on top with a choke, and he's getting it in. Uh, but Thompson is able to escape this choke, and then it's all one-way ground and pound by Rachmanov. And with Thompson, uh, with Rachmanov on his back, Thompson is on his knees, and Rachmanov is able to cinch in a rear naked choke with seconds to go in this second round, and Thompson taps at 4.56 of the second round, and Rachmanov improves to 18-0, and 0, uh, doesn't even get out of the second round, and uh, w- whatever whatever aversion this crowd had to uh, to his clinch work, they were more than happy with the outcome, and this should propel Rachmanov, who was ranked fifth coming into this fight, and I... I would have loved to have been seated next to Bilal Muhammad for this fight and what was going through his mind as he watched (laughs) this outcome occur where I think he might have whiplash from Rachmanov leapfrogging him. Yeah, I think Rachmanov has totally passed him by. I think he's getting that next title shot, and this was exactly the type of performance that the UFC and the fan base alike love. Uh, Yes, the clinch work at the beginning was a bit dull, but he got it down. He he finished a very tough Stephen Thompson. Yes, Wonderboy is heavily on the decline at this point in his career, but still a tough fighter to the finish. I don't know if he's ever been submitted before. Uh, Very, very impressive work from Shavgat Rachmanov. To Eric's point, though, uh, this was the first time that Stephen Thompson has been submitted he is 40 years of age and you know there were the comparisons drawn at the press conference of uh thompson and tony ferguson which i mean and rightly so dana white stated they're two totally different cases this is stephen thompson who has been uh still willing to fight the elite of the division and i think stephen thompson looked um fine especially in the in this first round against the level of shavkat rachmanov this is probably an indicator that thompson uh, fighting for a welterweight championship, not in the cards, and probably shouldn't be fighting the creme de la creme of the welterweight division. And then that becomes for Stephen Thompson, what are you fighting for? Are you content to, you know, and not in a disrespectful way, be a gatekeeper at this weight division and be fighting still competitive fights, but you're not, you're no longer taking fights that are going to be propelling you towards a a championship fight. We're going to be moving on to Tony Ferguson. And Patty Pimblett, a very intriguing fight for many reasons, because this is a, a year since we had seen Patty Pimblett in action when he took on Jared, Jared Gooden last year and or Jared Gordon and then had his ankle surgery and he's been off for a year. Many, many, many people thought that uh, Pimblett lost that fight last December and he was back here taking on Tony Ferguson, who has lost his last six fights coming into this bout. And the main question being that Considering the level of competition Ferguson has had, he's been given a lot of rope in this division 
after losses to Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Benil Dariush, Michael Chandler, Nate Diaz, and then Bobby Green. And at this level, this was sort of a number one. It's where does Patty Pimblett stand in the lightweight division? If you cannot beat a Tony Ferguson, then that really does uh, pump the brakes on any upward momentum for Pimblett. But conversely, for Tony Ferguson, if you're not able to compete with someone at Patty Pimblett's level, then that would be seven losses in a row and I think would really tell the tale on Ferguson that I think for many, it's been quite a few fights that we have seen such a diminished uh, Tony Ferguson. So in this one, we had... uh, the fight begins, and the first round was utter dominance from Patty Pimblett, who uh, is attacking with kicks to the body and clips him with a left hand. And then Pimblett catches him, and Ferguson is backing up, and Pimblett unloads with his hands, tags Ferguson, and drops him with a knee, and is issuing ground and pound on top, gets the back and mounts him, and he's landing all these big shots. Ferguson is saved by the horn. It's a 10-8 round for Patty Pimblett, and probably uh among his best rounds that that he has had to date and for tony ferguson unfortunately i can't even classify this as one of his worst rounds but this was um for for even the uh most optimistic coming into this fight i think this was a big reality check for tony ferguson and where he stands almost getting finished here in the first round eric marcotte who is a huge tony ferguson uh supporter he was in stun silence watching uh, Tony Ferguson just uh, crumble in this fight. In the second, uh, Pimblett is the faster of the two, beating him to the punch. Ferguson then slips, and Pimblett gets on top in his guard. He's landing inside of the guard. Whole round is Pimblett on top. He also gets his nose, uh, Pimblett, that is, sliced up and has to be taken care of in between rounds. And in the third, um, this was, you know, Pimblett was definitely dealing with exhaustion. And Pimblett is, at one point going to his back, and Ferguson wants no part of going to the ground with Paddy Pimblett. He issues a stand-up, and Pimblett continues to move forward. I think Ferguson could sense that the conditioning was an issue here with Pimblett, and that is one edge that you would lean towards Ferguson in a fight like this. But Pimblett is still active enough, and he works on top. Ferguson tried to free himself, and Pimblett then maintains position. The crowd is booing. Ferguson tries for a guillotine, and Pimblett just pops his head out, stays on top for the remainder, and he ends up being able to win the fight 30-27, 30-27, and 30-27. Afterwards, uh, Joe Rogan interviewed Patty Pimblett, who admitted that after the first round, he was completely gassed. And from there, uh, we have got uh pretty much Patty Pimblett just battling through the second and third rounds, but not getting a whole ton of resistance. So that was essentially the uh the end of the the train, I would say, for Tony Ferguson. And Eric Marcotte was just sitting back. He was stunned at <laughs> Tony Ferguson's seventh consecutive loss. And you know what, Eric, were you stating at the end of this? Let's give him an eighth. Let's give him like one more more shot at things. Oh yeah, UFC 300. I think we need to see one more from Tony Ferguson to see if he can finally turn it around. Uh, I was just no, yeah, in stunned silence for these last minutes, uh, re- re- thinking about this fight. You know what? Going into it, I didn't think this would be as one sided as, as it ended up being. I thought that Pimblet had enough holes in his striking defense for Ferguson to exploit, but um, unfortunately, we're just past that point now. It's kind of Hen and Barrow esque. Let me ask you this, Eric. If you were to be uh, preparing for your UFC fight, who would you <laughs> feel more confident in your corner in 2023? Would it be David Goggins or Jack Black? Oh, um, I think I'll take Jack Black. Why not? I might have afterwards. I mean, I'm I'm not as familiar with David Goggins, so I, I don't want to hear from all his his uh, his followers. But I, all I can assess is what the man had to offer in between rounds for Tony Ferguson. And it was pretty much be Tony Ferguson. You're not <laughs> being you. And um, I don't know how much David got. I'm, I'm sure the man put this guy through hell conditioning wise, but as pretty much everyone has brought up when, whenever we have talked about Tony Ferguson and this six fight losing skid, I don't think any of us have come out stating, you know what? His cardio is really taking a dive. I mean, I don't think any of us have really looked at the conditioning. If anything, it has been his ability to withstand so much punishment beyond a reasonable amount of time in these fights. But I mean, this, this was as concrete a, 
end to the Tony Ferguson UFC run. And this is just the reality at this level of combat sports that some of your favorites, you are going to, if they hold on too long, you are going to watch them uh, deplete to such a level. And I do not believe that we watched Tony Ferguson's retirement. Instead, I do feel this fight was his audition for BKFC. Um, honestly, I, I think what we're going to see him in the UFC again, I think we're going to, I think they're going to give him another fight. Yeah. Uh, going for the record. I think he's, he's tied with BJ Penn right now for the longest losing streak in the history of the promotion. So, um, maybe he'll make a bit of history before he leaves. It's sad to watch. He was a very entertaining, uh, unique and talented fighter in his prime and injuries, unfortunately, um, derailed his career. Well, Patty Pimblett gets the, the victory and as expected, many, many fighters, uh, jumping at the opportunity to, uh, want to challenge Patty Pimblett, who will, uh, have no shortage of options, but he has ruled himself out of UFC 300. Him and his wife, they're expecting, uh, in April. So he does not want to be fighting on the UFC 300 card. And then opening up the pay per view. Oh my God. This, <laughs> this might yeah. be the source of like child trauma if, they were watching uh, this as well. So Josh Emmett is taking on Bryce Mitchell. Mitchell was a late replacement uh, for Giga Chikadze, who was uh, replaced uh, just under two weeks ago. And this ended up getting bumped up to the pay-per-view portion. This was going to headline the prelims. But then uh, earlier this week, Ian Machado Gary came down with pneumonia. So his fight with Vicente Luque was off the pay-per-view. And uh, Josh Emmett was a plus 205 underdog going into this fight. And Emmett is just sizing him up and he connects with the overhand right from hell that just sleeps Bryce Mitchell. The soundness made, the stiffness of which Bryce Mitchell's body uh, contorted to and then goes down. This was among the scariest knockouts I can recall. And it was frightening to watch this man literally convulsing on the mat. And the announcers are very concerned. It took a long time for Mitchell to get up. And even when he did, he clearly did not have his bearings with him. Um, th- th- this was just a, a, a shocking knockout um, that Josh Emmett scores at 157 of the first round. Uh, absolutely brutal knockout. This wow. is as vicious as it gets. Um, you know, a knockout of the year contender and a scary one to watch. Uh, usually they, they cut away. Like if a fighter's convulsing or something, they don't show it on camera, yeah. right? They don't even mention it. Usually they'll, they'll pan to them when they get up later. This time they, they were doing commentary on it. They were showing it on camera. And I mean, it's the realities of the sport. I'm not necessarily against them showing it. But it, it's also a stark contrast when you're not used to seeing it. No, no. Like, obviously, you hope that uh, Bryce Mitchell is OK. He should probably have, you know, a lengthy you know time yeah. off after such a, a devastating knockout like this. Like there was like unbelievable trauma he sustained here. I mean, this was just a uh, very scary knockout uh, to conclude. I mean, conversely, I mean, it's kind of just the reality of the sport. That's such a brutal knockout. But for Josh Emmett, um you know, unbelievable power that this guy has. I mean, afterwards stating, I am the most powerful featherweight in the world. And granted that this was his third fight of the year and two of the three were losses. But Eric, quite the year when your lineup card includes, yeah, your Rodriguez, Ilya Tapuria, and then Bryce Mitchell at the end of it. I mean, that that's quite the featherweight gauntlet to go through um, and does end, end the year off with a with a victory. In a very inactive division, Josh Emmett has been fighting killer after killer in 2023. And, and despite, as you said, losing two of those three fights, I feel like he's in a pretty good place going into the new year. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he got Max Holloway or one of the few big name guys still fighting at 145 that he hasn't matched up against yet. To come off a win like this, you're ranked sixth. And for a 38-year-old in in the featherweight division, um, I, I am interested to see Josh Emmett in, in 2024 to see I, I agree with you i think he gets a a big fight at featherweight coming out of this and you know he gets one more impressive win who knows he might get that that one last uh shot at a you know at, at least be in that mix for uh, a featherweight title fight but anyway if you have a if you've not seen this knockout um hide your children before you watch this one because it it was very scary looking so we'll go through the the prelims here. Alonzo Menafield and Dustin Jacoby. This was a uh, 29-28 decision for Alonzo Menafield. Uh, Jacoby won the first round 
And then into the second, uh, Menefield. I mean, this guy just packs a ton of power here at 205 pounds. He connects with a left hand. And, dude, if there had not been a fence, I think Dustin Jacoby would have just been sent into, like, the 10th <laughs> row. He was just <laughs> blasted by this left hand and uh, had to regain his footing. Uh, Jacoby does come back, lands several shots, but it's Menefield with these left hands that backs him up, and this guy is thrown for the fences and... I had it even going into the third round. Jacoby cracks him with a right down the middle and then lands with a combination, has his rhythm going. The jabs are coming in heavy. And then Menefield just drops him with a left hand. He attacks, elbows against the fence. There's a takedown by Menefield, and they clinch to end the round. So I had Menefield winning the second and third, so I scored it 29-28. How did you have it? I had the exact same scorecard as you. I feel it's hard to score this fight any other way, honestly. Too much damage was done in those last two rounds. Yeah, listen, for all the times that we do uh, shine a light on, like, scorecards that are baffling, like, there were some close rounds on this fight, on this card, there were some close fights, I thought the judging was pretty stellar on on Saturday's card, so I I feel it is worth noting when they seem to, generally, like, I I didn't see really any egregious uh, cards on, on Saturday's show. No, me either. And, you know, I appreciated the the genuineness of this compliment because as you were going on, I just started to think about Dominic Cruz and how he loves to uh, compliment referees whenever they do a good job. And it is the least genuine thing you've ever heard in your entire life because you know exactly who he is criticizing every time he praises another referee. Yeah, it's listen, there's if we put some of these broadcasters on the spot to be scoring these fights in real time, I think there would be some awful, awful scorecards oh, yes, coming from definitely. the UFC desk. And I understand it's a different job when you're calling fights versus scoring fights. But even if you had them as kind of a just there to score fights, dude, they were turn turning some awful ones too, because you can see what they value at, at times that doesn't always coincide with the scoring criteria as well. So I, I, feel it is worth noting when uh, the judges get it right and there will be yep. zero articles about uh, <laughs> great night for the judges but there's a headline well Colby you. Covington disagreed with the decision in the main <laughs> yeah, event so, so there, there's Covington at least one dissenting scorecard <laughs> he thought he won the fight and that, that was just <laughs> the, the most comedic line of the, of the whole night He's like, I thought I, I won that fight so <laughs> Um, then we go, we, we, we got a late candidate for knockout of the year. We also got a late candidate for fight of the year with Arena Aldana and, uh, Carol Hosa that went three rounds. And this was a total war on the prelims. The first round, Hosa scores 24 leg kicks, uh, in this first round. And Aldana is just trying to rely on her jab, but dude, her leg was just getting chewed up throughout this and there's a right head kick by hosa at the end of the first so aldana just in the second and she's getting a lot more comfortable with her boxing landing with her right hands and putting hosa against the fence volume starts to increase as hosa's goes down and some big big right hands from aldana in the closing seconds um after two rounds hosa had landed 52 leg kicks eric that sounds about right, yeah. And each one, these aren't just like those light little tapping leg kicks. She was trying to take her leg off with each of these kicks. They were doing serious damage. Into the third round, uh, Aldana's delivering with a left to the body. Hosa continues with the leg kicks, and Hosa's left eye is a mess by this point. Aldana is hunting for the body as she had success connecting, and Hosa is powering through. Aldana starts laying in uppercuts, another to the body, and it is 16 to 2 in body strikes for Aldana in this round. And we go to the judges' scorecards. Before I uh, reveal, well, the, you can see here, Arena Aldana wins by <laughs> unanimous decision. The According to UFC stats, Carol Hosa scored 95 leg kicks in this fight. Oh 95, dude. I was that like, this was almost insane. as many. She landed almost as many leg kicks as Colby did strikes in a five round main event fight. Um, this was insane, and this this was a total war. And um, I was with the announcer. Like I, I would have to sit down and really assess fight of the year. This this one's in the conversation because this was uh, super dramatic. And uh, dude, Aldana really had to turn things around after that first round and the amount of damage she sustained. Well, throughout three rounds with the legs. Yeah, this was a super entertaining fight. Uh, clearly the fight of the night. Uh, I, I had the same as the judges, 29-28 for Aldana, but that doesn't tell a story of just how close and competitive this fight was. The damage done by both fighters, uh, excellent stuff. 
Uh, it's not my fight of the year, but it was certainly one that I will remember going into the, into the new year. 95 leg kicks. Aldana responded with uh, three of four. That Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I mean, the strikes, though, here. I mean, it, like this was just, dude, Aldana threw 308 strikes. Hosa threw 350. Um, I mean, this was the, the, the fight of all the fights on this card. Uh, like, absolutely. If, if you missed the prelims, go check this one out because it, it was outstanding. Um. Similar, I would say, not not quite the uh, the dire situation that Tony Ferguson was in, but still an important fight for Cody Garbrandt. He is coming off a win uh, in his last fight when he beat Trevin Jones in March after losses to Rob Font and Kai Kara France, and he drew Brian Kelleher. Uh, and maybe we will have a new award this year for the absolute worst haircut <laughs> of all time because this this was just atrocious looking to the point that it was. It was jarring for me that any individual could enter public life and know that this is attached to the back of their head. When you started talking about dire circumstances, I thought you were immediately pivoting to this haircut. It is uh, a disaster. I can't imagine waking up and leaving my house with this. Um, it's one of the worst hairstyles I've ever seen. He's not the only person I've seen do it. There's at least two other fighters I've seen rock this exact same hairstyle. It's it's insane. It's It needs to stop. This is just like you, you cut ties with an individual in your life if they're making choices of this magnitude. So Kelleher is coming in and uh, hitting him with low calf kicks. Uh, Garbrandt cuts Kelleher, and then it's Garbrandt with an elbow off the break against the cage, stuns him with a right, and then there's this short right hand that just drops Kelleher. He is out. He's like face down, and Garbrandt is just, he knows it's over turns around, walk off KO at 342 of the first round. Um, even in the three minutes and 42 seconds, Kelleher did a lot of damage to Garbrandt's shin, which was all, they zoomed in on this thing. And there was, um, I think that he was going to be giving birth to something coming out of this shin afterwards. It looked absolutely disgusting. Not as disgusting as Brian Kelleher's haircut, but it was bad nonetheless. Uh, this was a good win for Cody Garbrandt. It kind of reminded me of a lot of his fights before his initial uh, title shot against Dominic Cruz. His hand speed looked good. He was clearly the harder hitter here. I don't think this is some kind of uh, giant bounce-back performance or anything. Brian Kelleher isn't a fighter who's going to uh, propel you into a ranked opponent, but uh, a good win nonetheless. Yeah. Um... Hopefully, Brian Kelleher gets a haircut. And Garbrandt, in turn, wants Davison Figueredo in April or May. So, I mean, this guy came in, great performance, had a big call out, uh, interesting name that, you you know, these two were linked. They were supposed to fight at one point. Um, this, this guy had a, had a great strategy for himself and his, uh, and his uh, next fight coming up as well. So I think you'd be very happy if you were Cody Garbrandt. Uh, coming out of this. And I, I think he's going to be given a lot of opportunities given his name value and the fact that, you know, scored a very impressive knockout here. So we we will see what his future holds up. Uh, you're right. You're right. I'm not sure that's the fight he wants, though. I mean, it might be what he called for, but I'm not sure that one would go very well for him. Well, um, it, it, it's going to be quite the jump for Cody Garbrandt if he gets a uh, Davison Figueredo. Casey O'Neill and Ariane Lipsky at 125 pounds. Uh, Lipsky is uh, landing with knees and just outstriking Casey O'Neill in, in this first round. O'Neill entered with a right hand, clinches, and it's Lipsky taking her down at the end of the first. And then in the, sent the second, Lipsky stuns her with a right hand. O'Neill shoots, and uh, Lipsky is just uh, drilling her with ground and pound, swarms O'Neill, and then goes to the back with a choke and then gives it up and moves to an arm bar for the tap at 118 of the second round. Tremendous transition uh, from Ariane Lipsky, who improves to 17 and 8. And uh, she is kind of just, she's been this 500 fighter in the UFC, and uh, this being her sixth win in the octagon. She hasn't had the most inspiring run, but since moving down to flyweight, she's won three straight fights. So uh, good signs for her. And this was certainly, um, it was a nasty armbar too. It wasn't one of those mm. ones where they just get a hold and you get the quick tab. Like this one, uh, things were positioned in ways in which they were not meant to be. Uh, great finish. She just kind of ran through Casey O'Neill here. And there's a point where Casey O'Neill was one of the more um, highly touted prospects in the division. So really strong stuff. Yeah, this uh, this transition from, you know, going to the back right to the arm bar. I mean, the Zack Sabre Jr. of the women's flyweight division, I would say. A very high praise. And then the uh, the the early prelims. I mean, we got stoppages in all three of these fights. Uh, 
Tagir Ulambekov submitted Cody Durden in the second round. I mean, Ulambekov, uh, you know, pretty, pretty strong opening round here. He battled for a guillotine. Durden escaped that, and then they grappled, and Ulambekov took his back, nearly got a choke as the round ended, and then he continued it in the second. Gets a body triangle while Durden is standing, and Durden's just holding him up while standing. Finally, they go down to the mat and Durden taps at 425 of the second round. So Ulam Bekov is now 4-1 and one in the UFC after uh, defeating uh, Nate Manis back in November of last year. So it had been quite a while since he had been in action. A good performance. Um, it happened a very, very long time ago. But it, he's what you said, four and one in the UFC now. That's an impressive yes. record. It's a tough division. And uh, I, w- I would say that Durden's a pretty talented opponent. So a uh, good performance, all things considered. Andre Feely, this was his 21st fight in the UFC, Eric. And uh, this guy this guy needed a, a win. He was coming off a, a loss to Nathaniel Wood. He's kind of like your, your featherweight. He wins one, loses one. And he ne- never like falls into a, a big winning streak or losing streak. But did uh, crack Lucas Almeida with a right hand, drops him, and uh, finished him with ground and pound and several hammer fists at the end here. 332 of the first round, and uh, Andre Feely gets his 23rd pro win and afterwards stating that he had to uh, he had to put his dog down this week. A close friend of his recently died, and he was just on top of the world with this uh, with this win over a, a very tough opponent, I would say, at featherweight for, for where Andre Feely is in Lucas Almeida. Uh, you say that this was Andre Feely's 21st fight in the UFC, but you could have convinced me that this was his 21st fight this year. I feel like I see this guy on every second Apex show, and it's like you said, it's always win one, lose one, win one, lose one, and he's usually entertaining, so I never mind watching him. Andre Feely and Gerald Mearshart, you could convince me that they fight <laughs> once a month. That's an even better call, yes, Gerald Mearshart. I'm surprised he wasn't on this card. <laughs> he's a... Uh... He's getting up. He want he wants to he wants to do the whole UFC Apex calendar next year. So he's uh he's going to take the pay per views off. And then our our opener was a uh, Shamil uh, Gaziev defeating Martin Budai by TKO at 56 seconds of the second round. Uh, Gaziev won the first round, uh, put Budai against the fence and landed this body shot and just unloaded on him. And Budai was stopped on his feet by referee Mark Smith. So uh, this was a uh, Gaziev's UFC debut, and he improves to 12 and 0. And hey, we got we got a finish in a heavyweight fight because I know Eric, you would have loved to have just capped off UFC uh, UFC's year with a uh, a slow plodding heavyweight three rounder. I was so thankful for the finish here. I mean, when I turned on my TV at six o'clock last night and I saw the unranked heavyweights coming out, it was, it's like a red alert. You are about to suffer for fifteen minutes. But uh, to his credit. Uh, Gaziev looked good here. Uh, he really put a good pace on for heavyweights. He did good work to the body, landed big hooks to the head, and got a pretty uh, dominant victory, I'd say, in his UFC debut here. So what was your overall impression of UFC 296, the good and the bad? I, I was largely pretty positive on this card. I thought most of the fights were good, with the exception of the main event, which was rather dull. But at least you had some interesting fighters in it to make up for that and some high stakes with the title on the line. Um Obviously a bit sad watching your Stephen Thompsons and your Tony Ferguson's of the sport so far on the descent being fed to your up and comers, but that's the reality and that's the nature of the sport. That's how it's always been and how it always will be. So Yeah, I listen, I, I think like you, you did kind of end it on a low note with the with the main event. I mean, hardly hardly a great main event, but I would state throwing that out um number one, like if I'm gonna take a positive, it was the fact that Leon Edwards was able to just completely eliminate all of the the other stuff that he was like it was so visible afterwards that this stuff with his father was like very very taxing on him and i was just impressed the fact that he just had a measured game plan and he did not allow any of that to kind of circumvent his his process here of just totally dismantling this guy and winning a one-sided fight but on top of that like for this card uh flyweight uh, championship fight was a super entertaining five rounder. We got the rise of Shavkat Rachmanov, Patty Pimblett's biggest win to date, a like knockout of the year candidate, a fight of the year candidate, some really entertaining uh, endings on like the undercard was pretty damn entertaining. I would yeah, say this, I'm with you. This was overall like it was a very strong card that was just ended by maybe the most like lackluster championship fight we've seen in a little while. 
Yeah, an unfortunate main event. Uh, Covington wasn't quite able to push Edwards even to the extent that uh, Kamaru Usman did in their third fight. Um, but I think that also speaks to just how good Leon Edwards has gotten as a fighter over the years. And of course, Covington's slowing down as well. Uh, an unfortunate mismatch that turned out to be the rest of the show really fun uh pantoja this guy's awesome every time he fights it is so entertaining his I, i'm trying to think of the last boring flyweight title fight and i i can't think of one it's <laughs> it's been a really fun time at flyweight so afterwards uh dana white uh held his uh, press conference with the media and he came out and he had four fight announcements for UFC 299 on March the 9th in Miami. Uh, the, the John Pollock birthday card, Eric, are you aware? Oh, happy birthday. What an exciting card you'll have. And not even from the apex. No, no, they're going on the road <laughs> for the big occasion. So he just casually drops that Michael Venom page will be making his UFC debut against Kevin Holland. Song Dong, who's going to get his wish to fight uh, Piotr Jan. Gilbert Burns against Jack Della Maddalena and Ian Machado Gary will come back from his uh, his ailment uh, this past week and he will fight Jeff Neal on that card in Miami. So I would say and this is the card that is headlined by uh, Cheeto Vera and Sean O'Malley in their rematch for the bantamweight title as well. So shaping up to be a, a, a very good card as their their precursor for UFC 300. Uh, yeah, that's a good card, top to bottom. Uh, hopefully, a lot of the fights stick together. It's still ways away, so I'm sure we will lose one of two, one or two of those before we get there. But uh, it looks good right now. As soon as this week started, and I saw like the the fight total was 14 for tonight's card, I'm like, minimum we're getting one falling off, if not more, and we got two this week. So uh, always a given. They uh, Dana stated we offered a bunch of fights to Vicente Luque. He turned them all down. I mean, the temerity <laughs> to you know in this uh. This so you want to be a fucking fighter? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were even going to pay him. We're going to pay you to fight, and you're turning down opponents? I mean, what, what is this? You can have two days' notice to take on some killer. Um, so we, we have not talked about this yet, but one of the uh, the big um, issues coming out of UFC 296 was uh, on the broadcast, we see Sean Strickland in the front row, and about two rows behind him is Drickus Duplessis, and they had uh, just horrific dialogue between one another i will leave it at that from the press conference on on friday and so we see them on camera and then moments later the broadcast notes that they got into a fist fight and dude this is this is the zapruder film of mma because my feed was just littered by every conceivable angle of this fight and first of all people at first all you have to judge on the proximity is what was shown on the broadcast and in the row right behind them, there's this little girl sitting in the, with, with like her mother, I assume. And later you're concerned, like this kid get involved in the middle of this whole brawl uh, because you're seeing like the overhead shot. And this thing is just nuts. You've got like Chuck Liddell swarming in there. Cheeto Vera's just cheering like, yes, a fight. And um, so anyway, the angle that later comes out, and I retweeted this, um, Sean Strickland asks the child and the mother to move aside. And then, dude, he just starts annihilating Drickus Duplessis. Like, this is not just, like, for, for show. Like, he is throwing with intent to kill with these shots. And uh, basically, Dana White, to his credit, took all of the blame for this because he said I was in charge of the seating assignment and I screwed up by putting these two so close. And I can't believe that I did that. Uh, said there will be no legal issues coming out of this. It doesn't sound like Duplessis was injured in any of this because yeah, they're fighting in about four weeks. So um, yeah, this, this was obviously a, a major story coming out of the show and was just a total oversight to have these two so close to one another and, can't be too surprised that this happened but at, at the same time i mean uh quite the look here yeah it's exactly as you said i mean putting these guys so close together they're both um personalities we shall say and no surprise the things uh, ended up as they were actually the most shocking thing was that strickland actually asked the child and the mother to move before he started going on the attack so so good on him uh, i saw like some cell phone footage of it. it it looked like uh he was just throwing down shots and may have even got thrown to the ground by duplicy at one point but uh not too much to make of this honestly and uh, Dana White stated he wants to see Tony Ferguson retire. Didn't want to disrespect him by talking openly about him retiring, but that's exactly what he did here. And uh, <laughs> and he did, he was asked about like the comments made at the press conferences, and he said, "Yeah, it did bother me. I don't like fighters bringing up uh, uh, 
parents, wives, kids, like he does not care for that, that kind of stuff. And I mean, this is not, Dana is not going to, uh, you know, step in and find any of these guys. But I think at the very least, just the fact he didn't condone this was, uh, at least not my expected response from, uh, from Dana White on this, who usually just like, just shrugs his shoulders and could not, uh, could not care less, but nonetheless brought it up here. It did also state that during the press conference on Thursday, their pre-fight buys went up 25% during that, that press conference on Thursday. So uh, I don't know what that number w- w- would account for. But um, I know you were curious about this, Eric. Um, it looks like after California, Dane expects several more states to open up for power slap. Uh, that's, that's so exciting. I was, I'm considering becoming an active competitor myself. So they 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 threw in some uh trailer for power slap and do, I I don't know any of them but Michael Bisping is like calling this stuff. Yeah, I, I saw the same trailer as you. I I can't say anymore because I've never sat down to watch one of these. I can offer I. I can offer you no insight, but um they're they're still going all in on it. There was also some influencer named Neon. <laughs> we really were getting into the nitty gritty in this press conference. Dana didn't want to spend any time talking about this dude neon, but essentially this guy posted a video that he was coming to the arena and he was going to talk smack to Donald Trump, no matter what. And uh, they ejected this guy from the building or he, they didn't let him in. And I guess um, that was that. But um, overall, Dana White does, does appreciate the work of other influencers, but wasn't a fan of neon who he also said was short and uh, did acknowledge it's a bad thing that places like Bellator won't be around any longer. And I mentioned Rwanda and Nigeria as places they want to go to uh, in the future. So there there you go. That was all of your news coming out of uh, Dana White's press conference. I guess the key stuff being the fights for UFC 299. And then whatever happens for UFC 300, which he said they're still waiting for things to play out. Um, you have any prediction on what's going to headline UFC 300, Eric, in your, uh, in your matchmaking head? Um... Uh, it's tough to say. I would have never guessed that UFC 200 would have been headlined by Amanda Nunes and Misha Tate. So uh, I can barely give you a call. I think a lot of people are looking towards the Conor McGregor return fight being on that card. Uh, obviously, John Jones is out of action for the time being. Uh, maybe you get Islam Makachev on there against Charles Oliveira or Justin Gaethje. Yes, Dana has stated that when you see what the first prelim of the night's going to be, you're going to be blown away. So, I mean, he's he's really hyping this one up. But, uh, yeah, that's coming up in April. And uh, that's it for the UFC this year. They return January 13th from the Apex for Magomed Ankalaev <laughs> and Johnny Walker in the main event. And then the next time we are back, so will the UFC in Toronto uh, with UFC 297, which features the aforementioned Sean Strickland against Drickus Duplessis and uh, the fight that I know it's going to bring Eric down to the Scotiabank Arena, Raquel Pennington, Maria Bueno Silva to determine the new women's bantamweight champion. Yeah, both of those title fights suck, but the rest of the card is actually pretty good top to bottom. Like, I feel like if I was paying to see it live, I'd be pretty happy with the card I'm getting uh, title fights aside. Yeah, the, um, some some of the fights include Mike Malott, who's been on on a great role, is taking on Neil Magny, definitely the biggest fight of Malott's career. Movsar Ivloev takes on Arnold Allen. That's a very good fight. Dominic Reyes against Carlos Ulberg. And uh, what else do we have here? Charles Jordan against Sean Woodson. I mean, so a, a mix of stuff here. We will uh, we will see how this far the, the card pans out. But I would say that the main card, several of those fights uh Look, look strong. That doesn't look like a, this is far from like some blockbuster show, but yeah, it's not like also, a super exciting one. Yeah. Th- this will also kind of determine, I think, where the public's interest is in Sean Strickland, that he is here in a, like, he's pretty much in a headline position as the number one guy. Like, how much interest does he attract to a show where he's not fighting in Israel Adesanya, but rather he is the clear A side in this? Yeah, I couldn't possibly tell you right now. I know he's popular with UFC fans. Uh, I'm not sure who's a difference maker and who's not anymore. Like, we look at a handful of guys like your Conor McGregor's or Islam Makachev's who clearly do move numbers. But that aside, it feels like there's a base level that the UFC brand itself sells that and everything kind of falls under that. So uh, I imagine this will be a pretty average buy, right? Do we see David Goggins return in 2024? Do you even remember who David Goggins is? Of course, to back up Tony Ferguson. Well, we we can look forward then to a year of David Goggins, maybe another uh, Jack Black return. We will see. 
And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us for our UFC 296 review and caps off another year of MMA coverage here at Post Wrestling. And uh, Eric, I want to thank you as always for uh, for joining me for all of these reviews, even though you've had uh, life changes and adjustments to your schedule, uh, making time to join us. Um, I-, I hope you we will see you thriving in 2024, whether it's in video or audio form. We'll take Eric Marcotte however we can get him. Uh, yes, I've been 10-7 by technology multiple times as of late. Hopefully we can turn that around to start the new year. All right. Well, that is going to wrap things up, everybody. Uh, if you are just joining us for our MMA coverage, we want to wish you a, a happy holiday. But we have uh, plenty of shows coming up uh, this week, including the NWA podcast that is up tonight, 8 Eastern live uh, with Chris Ely, Andrew Thompson, and Nate Milton. Uh, that will be live. And then Monday night, myself and Wei Ting are going to be up for Rewind to Raw. And uh, we're going to be doing a giveaway uh, this week uh, for anyone in Canada across the country. Uh, we're going to be giving away tickets to the Iron Claw this week if you are going to be seeing it. Eric, are you going to be making your way out to see the Iron Claw? No, I ha- I just have no time. It's not it's not disinterest. I, I really don't have the time, unfortunately. Perfect review from Eric Marcotte. Uh, he's a busy man, folks, so we're going to let him go. Uh, but thanks to everyone for joining us. This concludes our UFC 296 review.